This is Deep Dives, and I'm your host, Matt Samuels. We're joined yet again by our executive producer, Miles Gross. Miles, welcome to the show. Matthew, 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 happy to be here. Unfortunately, not in studio today. We're doing a little remote recording, but it's good to hear your voice. I'm, I'm happy. I'm happy to hear your voice. Happy it's another week, another episode. I'm excited to hear about David today. Phenomenal guest, phenomenal. Really that- creative guy. As they say in in the business, another day, another dollar. And for you, that's that's pretty accurate. In, it's given. another day, just another day, because I still make zero dollars from this. We're still waiting. We're waiting for the boom. Right. We're another we're another coin. Uh, after your last guest uh, tried to help us become millionaires, we're just another coin waiting for the boom. You know, we're we're good. We have good qualities. We have potential. Um, we're a good asset to hold long term. That's what I think. I agree with. It. So you would, if you were, if deep dives was a was a stock or let's say a, one of the coins, you would you would be you would be all in. You would invest. Oh yeah, we're going to the moon, Matthew. Come on, what are you talking about? Speaking of going to the moon, I'm going to tease. We have a space episode, not this week, but we're going to do something on space in a couple weeks, which is going to be very cool. I have to mention Ooh, that. I'm excited. I've never Maybe. been to space. You been to space? Um, only three times, but it's, but, oh, okay. it's, but it's been a while. So I was, I was on one of the Apollo missions. I don't know if you knew oh, that. Oh, well, hopefully not the one that crashed. No, no, I would, I would not be here talking to you. That's so. tr- That's very true. That's a good point. So this week, let's talk about this week. Uh, David Winther's our guest and David is one of these guys that is just Mr. Entertainment. He's out in LA um, he is a music marketer, he's a talent agent, he's an entrepreneur, um, kind of a jack of all trades. I mean, his, his day-to-day focus is music, um, but he's involved in television projects, he's involved in films, documentaries, uh, doing some really, really cool things. And uh, it just had a very, a very interesting career. He's worked with Pearl Jam He's worked with Kevin James. He's worked with Zach Galifianakis. He's worked with John Legend. So, um, you know, obviously names everyone's heard of, pretty substantial people. So uh, David has a lot to say about the music industry, kind of where we're headed. And he's going to talk about uh, some really exciting projects that that are in the works at the moment. So um, we'll be... Maybe he can get my music career going. I don't know. I mean, yeah. that'd be pretty cool. I don't, I don't think that's going to happen, Miles. We never know. You never know till you try. But I have to reach out to David after after this uh, interview and see if he wants to listen to a recording. Do you have a like a demo cassette tape? I could throw him a demo. Yeah, I you can throw have... him a couple. I got a couple good ones. I got originals. I got covers. I can I can throw him a little mix. Were these recorded in the shower? These recorded in a in a public um, a bathroom stall actually. The acoustics are phenomenal in Penn Station, actually. Wow. And ha- how many people told you to shut the F up? Uh, six. And then I was asked to leave by security. But you got, but you, but the recording. But the recording's the... phenomenal. I'm telling you, the acoustics in the Penn Station uh, bathroom stall is great. It just echoes. It's amazing. I think, you know, Sam Hendricks wrote this amazing uh you know theme song for us but I'm, I'm thinking that we might have to swap it out after what you're telling me i think this well, we'll we'll have david listen to the demo after and he'll let us know if it's podcast intro worthy right 
Right. Well, David, David is, you know, he, he has a lot of pull in, in the music industry out For there. Sure. Right now. So. I, he sees talent and he works with talent and it's exciting. I'm, I'm pretty jealous of his job, honestly. He works with yeah. a lot of cool names. This could be this could be your big break. This could be it. This is it. I'm leaving the podcast, but going to the music industry. Thank you so much for introducing me to David. This was so exciting. You're never going to meet David. This is, you know. You, you wow, where, where is David? David's in L.A.? You need to stay in your lane, Miles. Stay. You are. You are in the opening segment. You're not in the in the in the you know the deep dive. This is this is just the warm up. So the divers out there, our listeners, uh, I actually have never met any of the guests we've interviewed. I think we're on episode eleven now, and and we're gonna keep it that way. We're gonna keep it that way. That is by design. Matthew keeps me very far away from the guests. I've always wondered why. Yeah, we'll we'll get into that at a later at a it's later. Another date. episode. It's 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 to protect the protect the show, Miles. We got to protect the show. That's a, um, a good point. Got to protect. But one day, uh, when the time is right, we will we will introduce you to to the guests. Uh, that I can promise you. So all right, there we go. You have that to look forward to. Um, well, Miles, I hope you have a good rest of your week. Um, I hope you enjoy this New York City weather. It is it is beautiful out. So you have any plans to go outside before we? Yeah, uh, I'm gonna check out that wrap? new island uh, that they just built. I think it's on 14th Street. Uh, building islands next to islands. I mean, Manhattan's booming right now. It's great. I mean, it's very exciting. New date spot. I'm gonna take a take my date to that little island they just built with the trees and stuff. So I'm not really sure what else is going on over there, but it should be cool. That should be a cool day. I think that's a. I think young the young women of Manhattan will will enjoy that spot. I think I think that'll be a nice date. We said they're young. Are you going to um? Are you going to bring some alcoholic beverages? I know your 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 you know your date move is is a drink. So how how are you going to navigate that? Yeah, usually I pick up a nice bottle of wine. Um, usually between the 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 ten and the the fourteen dollar range, and uh, maybe a little. <laughs> Drink on the, you know, by the piers, a little something in the park. Get a little buzz. Go check out that new island. It's beautiful. It's 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 great. Inexpensive. It's an, it's an inexpensive date, and it can go a long way. You know, you can't just get courtside Knicks tickets right away. You know. No, that's like a third date. I think. Set set the expectations really, really, really low, and it's only up from there. And the good thing about that is if, if, if you, you know, if you work really hard at this podcast and get promoted, maybe one day you can afford those courtside Knicks tickets. So, or a bottle know, of wine uh, above 20 bucks. There you go. There you go. Care to dream. Care to dream. <laughs> All right, Miles. Well, we got a, we got a, we got a boogie here with David. Um, thank you again. And uh, we'll see, we'll see you next week. Sounds good. Excited to hear the podcast, Matthew. Have a good one. So we have David Winther coming up. Uh, we're going to talk about entertainment, uh, films. We're going to talk about movies. And we're going to talk a lot about music and uh, the future of music. So we have David Winther after this. And we are back on Deep Dives. And we're joined by our guest, Dave Winther. Dave, how you doing? I'm good, man. How are you? I'm doing well. Thanks for uh, thanks for being our guest this week. Uh, this is going to be a really interesting episode because no one I know 
knows more about music and pop culture and creativity and um, and entertainment than than you do. So I'm I'm really looking forward uh, to interviewing you and and speaking with you about about all these topics. Um, Aside but from you, you, man, that's very humbling. But you know you 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 know quite a bit too. You know. Well, I I think you are you've always been a guy that just is is very well rounded and and uh, you you seem to be at the at the forefront of a lot of these new creative uh, you know stuff happening in the world. So um, you know what I think my biggest um, I wouldn't say curse, but one of my biggest things that I've internalized that I need to work on is I've seen a lot of the like you said, forefront of things, whether it's like going to see a new artist. Like I remember seeing Dylan Francis um, in New York City when I was living there with you at Mm -hmm. this small club, like at a hotel. I don't know how old he was, maybe 19, chugging Jack Daniels. And it was like Hmm. on the brink of him making probably 2,000, maybe a thousand bucks. And everyone like I knew and everyone in that small venue knew that he was going to break it big. And it's like, at a young age, and I'm, I, I still even, you know, deal with this, you know, respect. I try to get more people to listen. Going to be breaking, or will break, or have broken, or about to break, and it's it's tough. It's tough, man, to get people to, you know, if it's Dave Winther, even probably not Scooter Braun at this point, but anyone mm-hmm. in between, trying to have. Somebody, you know, you, you take them aside and you say, this artist is going to break or this new thing in the zeitgeist is about to hit big and there's a way we can leverage it because of X, Y, and Z. Right. The biggest thing I can always improve on, I think, is um, getting more people to listen, right? Because mm-hmm. I'm a natural, I think I'm a natural salesperson and I talk, you know, I, I talk quite a bit and I, I think you and I both have the gift of gab, but in terms <laughs> of like... Pulling, yeah, pulling somebody aside, you know, and saying like, hey, there's this dude named Dylan Francis, like, let's, let's invest our time and efforts into him, um, you know, and, and see where it goes. And all of a sudden, it becomes like a million dollar act in three years or so, right? Like, there's, uh, there's a talent to that in itself. So I've noticed that like internalizing and then, you know, using that that foresight and being able to act on it uh, is something that I'll always try to improve on. Absolutely, it's a, it's a, it's a skill. I mean, it's certainly um, not not everyone has that, so um, it's certainly something unique. Um, you know that 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 you've used. Um, you know, certainly you know as as a very successful tool. So, um, you know, tell me a little bit about your earliest memories. You know, music has really kind of been at the forefront of your life. It's it's a big part of um of of your current you know career and and kind of um you know the 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 years that you've been um working professionally talk about about music as a as a kid as you know growing up um you know the impact that you know the early days uh what what music has meant to you it's kind of wild i mean you know there were probably two substantial phases you knew me in one phase and then even before that uh, I'm probably more at your speed uh, in the earlier phase. It was, you know, some of my earliest memories um, is just little bits and pieces, kind of like everybody, right? But those bits and pieces were, you know, some of the most Im- influential Beatles songs where I remember being in the car with 
my dad and him whistling about it or something. And um, some of the, you know, another, you know, kind of bits and piece type of memory is uh, it's called The Point by Harry Nielsen and Ringo Starr. It was like this, this, uh, this story about how everything in life has a point. And even if you don't see it, eventually, you know, you can kind of get through different obstacles to either learn from a point or see the point in general. I, I know I keep saying the point, but obviously uh, it had a great message for young kids and I think it still resonates. And, you know, so I guess like the earliest stuff for me would be like the Beatles, uh, Harry Nilsson, which is a little weird because I think he was in the whole a little bit more on the acid, you know, magic school <laughs> bus type stuff than the Beatles were, you know, the Beatles were more of a even though they did have their kind of yellow submarine type of, you know, ex, you know, phase, they were more of a brand versus Harry Nilsson really, really was part of that whole acid movement in the 70s. But he did create a really good children's um, story and audio book that, you know, was kind of like a musical as well as a book. So I remember those two as my the most impactful artists early on and then it kind of went further into you know earlier clapped and stuff but i can't name a song it was just always playing in the car and i think you could probably relate and people listening it's it's probably pretty much almost always in the car right mm -hmm. so like mm -hmm. whatever your parents are playing or you know someone who's meaningful was playing when you were a kid um so it was very melody driven very pop driven like everything including the harry nelson stuff had a good hook had some, you know, great pop, whether it was the Beatles or, you know, I probably wasn't listening to Eric Clapton deep cuts, right? It was on the radio. <laughs> so it was, you know, it was some of his more pop driven stuff. Right. Um, uh, you know, I don't even think it got into cream, but those are probably the most early moments of, uh, you know, music that I remember. And it was so personal uh, in terms of, how I remember them to this day that I think everyone has that same connection. So, I mean, music for me is something that says love, right? Because of the, you know, family aspect, it says learning, right? And understanding that everything in life can grow and you can grow from things, even if you fail, like the Harry mm. Nilsson you know, point reference. Um, so I think it was always a positive thing, uh, like many people, right? um earlier on 100%. and then yeah and then the second phase was probably um my mom was uh not around as much when i was a kid she was always working mm. so when she was home on sundays she would take me to sam goody and i could go in mm. without her and get whatever i wanted right so i would just get the most the craziest covers that uh you know, 12, 11 year old could find, right? Like Green Day Dookie. It was everyone, it was <laughs> everything and everyone taking shits on everyone, right? Like that was the cover of this album. So it was so visually focused and it was a, it's a comic book type of looking album that I just, I was driven to it, right? As a, you know, 11 year old who loves comic books, I saw this like anti authority album named dookie and i said all right i don't even know what this sounds like i'm getting this one this week and then the next week i would get like you know i didn't even know what weed was or marijuana or whatever you're gonna call it <laughs> cannabis was at the time but chronic right like it was such a no-no that i i got Dr. dr dre's the chronic so it went from everything from you know punk rock to rock to um 
to hip hop. And when I was in that second phase, it wasn't that I didn't like Clapton or I didn't like, you know, your favorite Bruce Springsteen, but Mm -hmm. it was kind of a rebellious thing at the same time. It was, it was being given the freedom to look and pick things on your own. And instead of picking the stuff that I had already heard and listened to and was allowed to listen to, I was picking the most shock, shock value type stuff in the, the store. Um, and for people who are younger, who don't know, there actually used to be stores where you would pick a CD or an album and you would look at the cover art and either listen to a song or two on headphones in the store, kind of like, yeah. you know, Barnes and Noble. But for me, um, it, it, I, when I was younger, I was mostly attracted to the, the cover art first and then the song second, to be honest, like at 10 or 11, it was, it was a big thing for me. It's you know it's, you bring Dave you bring back so many memories with with Sam Goody and 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 Barnes and Noble they had that you know in in, in the bookstores they had that section where you're hundred percent right you'd put on you'd put on the headphones and you'd listen and you'd decide do I want to buy this do I not man does that bring does that bring back memories Un- unbelievable um, but you know you your your points are so well taken um, about. You know, you remind me of of just the power of the car in terms of, you know, the the memories, um, so many memories you can of of music you can tie directly to, you know, I was I was driving here and I was coming from there and I was at the beach in my car. And it's so true, Um, you know, the radio and CDs and cassettes, you know, they're all, you know, a lot of these are taken from the car. So, um that was, it was, yeah. that was, you know, you're, you're hundred percent so, right there. Yeah. It, and that was like our, our thing in high school too. We didn't have, we had MP3s, but it was mainly like you would convert them from Napster or LimeWire onto a CDR. And then we would jack the, uh, the tape player type of thing in, it was, I forget what it was called, but it was this tape that had a wire and you would put the tape in like a, like a regular tape. And you would plug it, this wire, into a CD player. And you'd be able to play kind of like in a hijacked fashion, you know, whatever you wanted from Napster. I remember that being like the best we could do in even early high school. Do you remember that? Like no one really in their own cars, maybe their parents' cars, but our cars, like we were just, you know, jacking whatever we could from uh from LimeWire and playing it through like some weird rig like <laughs> I, I, <laughs> like know, we were I, like, I think I yeah have, I know exactly what you're saying I definitely I think we all I, had that, I wish I could right? have people visualize that better it, it just looked like a you know one of those CD players you you see that are you know big and yeah. where you would put the headphones in instead is this wire that goes right into the tape player section right Unbelievable! What a what a blast from the past. So so tell me about so your you know obviously music's been a big part of your life, um, but when did you realize you know um, I this is something I think I want to do as my for my career as my profession? Um, when did that start to uh, when did that realization you know come uh, come about? You know I'm good at this. I like this. This is my passion. You know, I want to go. I want to work with artists. I want to be. I want to be in this. Um, I want to be in this field. So later on, I'd say. I mean, earlier for a lot of people. Later on, for most people, from where we we grew up, um, 
you know, you know, but for everyone listening, where we grew up, everyone was so highly ambitious that um, a lot of people entering college kind of knew what their career track was going to be prior to college. So for me, I was still in an exploratory phase for careers. Like, you know, there was a point, and I'll get into this in a second, there was a point, and uh, some of our mutual friends would say this, but like there, there was a point in early college, late high school, where I questioned the notion of why, why a job, right? Like, so I was totally, and I did well in school, but I was totally against the idea of like being part of quote unquote, the norm or being part of the, the nine to five system. And I had that in me, I guess I had that rebellious streak. Uh, it was kind of, you know, at this point it's a little cringy, but I, I say it because it was true. Um, and it, it, followed me a little bit to college. I had a, just like most people, I had a, a weird, not straight line to where I am now and early in music. I really love and still do love film, right? So it started in high school when I was taking uh, film classes with some of the AV, you know, AV teachers. Um, and there was a radio station there and I tried some stuff out, but never got on the radio there. But I always tried some stuff out. I always tried to create some mixes for other DJs. And, you know, I was mainly in the um, documentary filmmaking side of the business uh, or any uh, sorry, side of the, uh, the lane in that in that department. Mm -hmm. So I went to film school at Emerson my freshman year um, and it was great. I mean, it was. It was eye-opening. It, it definitely wasn't the college experience I wanted, but for a lot of people it is. I think that, you know, the way that I came across a lot of people, I was like this bro-y, meathead-looking guy for, you know, compared to a lot of the people at Emerson. So, you know, some people were a little bit smug to me. Some people, you know, were really highly focused, which I did love. And then there was another crew of people there who would and this was just shocking to me at the time you know and it still probably would be shocking in a lot of settings now but i remember being a freshman at emerson and there would be you know random people who would sit down at a table in the cafeteria with me and they'd be like you know at 1 p.m 12 p.m in the afternoon they'd be like casually tripping on acid and <laughs> you know as an 18 19 year old coming from northern connecticut uh you know, the most we'd ever done in high school was for me, at least cannabis. It's like, um, yeah, and that was, even, <laughs> that was insane to me. That was crazy. And it would have been cool and interesting to me had the, the people who I, you know, had met been cool while they were tripping on acid, but they were just, it was just so weird to me. So <laughs> there were a lot of factors that went into, um, you know, changing career paths from Emerson. And I decided to do that because the main reason wasn't because of the social aspect, even though it did play into it. The main reason was because on the weekends, I didn't I didn't find myself going and taking up a lot of internships uh, in the film like Lane, nor did I see myself like taking projects that a lot of people in my um, it was a really coveted, you know, major like being a director or filmmaker at emerson it's really hard to get into programs so all these other people i was quote unquote competing against were taking all of these jobs and 
PA jobs on the weekends. And I was that I was just a kid who loved film, but didn't love it as much as the other people. So I kind of quickly had, I think my first realization, internalization, whatever you want to call it, where I said, well, I love this stuff, but I'm not going to be Steven Spielberg, right? So (laughs) I kind of got my act together. I didn't, you know, I didn't love that realization I had, right? But I kind of sucked it up and I said, what's the next step? for me, for David, what, what do I do? And, uh, what I came to was, you know, I was already getting a 4.0. I was on the Dean's list. So I said, I'm going to transfer. I'm going to go to something a little bit more typical, less, and I'm not calling Emerson vocational, but my degree would have been pretty vocational into film, which again, I love, but it wasn't for me. Um, and then I applied to a bunch of, you know, a little bit more liberal, liberal arts, straightforward, really great schools. Um, I got accepted by a bunch of them and decided to go to GW in DC, which is where you and me reconnected again. Um, and okay. that's really, and it's really funny because a lot of people don't know there's a really great music scene in DC, but after the live uh, area of the, you know, the music industry in DC, it kind of goes away. But for me, that's exactly where it really started to take hold. Um, Mm -hmm. I don't know how much you recall of like what I was doing there, but, um, it was early on. I was just, you know, having a lot of fun promoting at different, um, different venues. Some of them were more, you know, bar nightclub-y. Some of them were more performance venues. And it just started as like a Thursday night party. Uh, and it went into something a little bit bigger where I had more aspirations and, um, at the same time, a lot of my friends from different schools, like Boulder and friends from different grades and schools from high school uh, across the country were sending each other MP3s and it comes right back to that. And it be, kind of became a competition where everyone was trying to find the most underground, you know, artist with so much clout that we got so good at it that we started targeting and identifying artists that were about to hit um early on facebook and Mm -hmm. we would trade these these artists around and whatever one we liked we would just keep passing it around and um it became like some sort it's a small network of people where uh it got to a point where i was connected with a bunch of managers and the managers you know said hey i heard you have some stuff going on in dc what can you do with so and so artist and at first i was like what do you mean you know like uh, what do you mean? What can I do? Like, what is there to do? Like, do they want to come to a party? Like, what is it? And, um, they said, well, let's put on a show. And, you know, I said, that's interesting. Let me think about it. And I already had this Thursday night thing going on and I decided that's the next move I want. That's the next thing I want to do to push whatever I'm doing in the DC area a little bit further. And it wasn't even until I had the first show that uh, sold out around, it was more at a venue club um, versus a, like a, sorry, not a venue club, just a regular like bar club. Um, But it sold out around Wisconsin and M uh, to the point where we had to have like police come and like look out over the crowd and stuff. So it got to this really high level where I remember seeing the show, being there, seeing the audience, and then the artists coming by after. 
and having so much electricity electricity that I just I was hooked. It was it was right after the first show. I was like, this is what I want to do. I want to grow artists' careers. I want to put mm-hmm. on live events. This is this is fucking amazing. What what's what's better than that to to you know not only have a passion um, but but to be able to follow it. Uh, it's 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 your you're a lucky man in in that regard. Um, so so let's talk a little bit about Falcon, uh, which is which is where you currently um, are right now. You're you're living in L.A. Uh, been there for for a bunch of years now, and Falcon. You know, obviously, I want want you to you know talk more about um, tell tell the listeners more about what what you're up to. But it's a it's a really interesting place. It's a it's a creative production house uh, that encompasses sports, uh, pop culture, music, entertainment. Um, seems kind of like a one stop shop for uh, for all of that, um, and really doing some cutting edge, interesting, um, uh, really really you know at the forefront of, of a lot of these areas. So, um, talk a little bit about your, your move to Falcon and, uh, you know, we'll get into some specifics, some of the projects you're working on, but what's that experience been like, um, you know, thus far? First of all, it's been great. I mean, Falcon, there's a lot of production houses, as you know, Matt, in, you know, around the country, especially in New York and LA. And a lot of them say a lot of big things and say they do certain things, but, this is the first, you know, creative production house that whatever they say, they accomplish. And I, I see that from the the actual founder all the way down. And he has this great winning attitude about him. His name's Dexton Debery. And the way that he runs the company seems more like we're all on a basketball team, which I love, right? Like you can tell and it's not like Dexton's like a coach right he's not he's not he's not a coach on the sidelines telling us which plays to put on but you can kind of tell from the way that he plays the game and by that i mean the way that he runs his company the way that he films that he identifies who's good for the falcon team in terms of the culture that he's creating in terms of the talent that he wants in terms of the the capabilities that each person should have and builds the team. So like there's somebody who's, you know, there's somebody who's a good point guard, right? There would be somebody who's who's good at setting up the plays, bringing the ball down. Um, that's probably Dex, right? He's the one who's, who's good at putting everything together. He's a director, mm-hmm. but he's also probably, you know, shifting into at the same time shooting guard. So he could be a, a Michael Jordan. And that's one of his biggest, you know, obviously his biggest passions. Um, and there are all these different people here that have great personalities, great work ethic, and they're all built with different talent. And you don't see how meticulously Dex has worked at cultivating that, that type of hiring process until you're in it. And you, you can kind of pick out each person's really high level strengths and you can see like, oh, I get it. You're here for a lot of things, but this is your superpower and this is your superpower. But I guess kind of zooming out a little bit more, um, the way that I got to Falcon from booking shows, uh, doesn't sound very, you know, it doesn't sound very straightforward. And that's kind of the path I've led since, you know, I guess college, but it makes more sense to me and probably you knowing me, Matt, um, than it does to a lot of people who might be listening because, 
a lot of Dex's passions around this company align exactly with what I've always loved. I've always been huge into sneaker culture um, since middle school. I've always loved, you know, hip hop as well as any kind of uh, forward thinking type of music. Same with Dex. I've always, you know, if there was one sport I loved to watch the most on TV, and that was hard being a Knicks fan, as you know, um, All which is too why well. I adopted the, the Kings back in, uh, what was it, man, 05, Mike Bibby times, Chris Weber times. Uh, it was <laughs> basketball. Uh, I love football. I, you know, I played football. I wasn't as good as, I, I, you know, I was better at football than I was at basketball as, you know, a player, but... Um, I loved watching basketball. I loved watching it, um, you know, every night when I was doing homework in high school and middle school. It was just something that was so every single player, every single, you know, every single thing you could see. It was always so beautiful versus football. You know, it's an amazing sport. I love it. Um, but in my opinion, I think basketball is 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 more fun to watch so everything around the culture of the company that's one reason why i was drawn to it but in terms of the actual function um what drove me to dex uh and the company was you know how i could fill the need for this new department that we've created uh together with new technology um mm -hmm. i've always wanted to be on the forefront the nexus of what you will of uh, tech and entertainment and dex brought me the idea of that as well as you know if there are other pr creative production ideas you know for for instance let's say a famous music festival in austin comes to me and wants to do a fully produced falcon produced story of how a band gets to their festival in eight days, those conversations can and, and, and are being had, right? And I'm, I'm getting to use those, those, those connections and use those, those different ideas and talk to the, the highest person at the, the company and say like, hey, not only am I helping you build, you know, a department with everything from, you know, potential fundraising aspects to hiring aspects to sales to marketing to also being part of the, you know, the creative. You know, if I have an idea that's on the creative side, being able to say like, hey, I've got this connection here, you know, this festival. And they have a unique stance in the market where we want to follow some really new indie bands and how they get from point A, which is maybe in Montreal with no money and no van, to point Z, which is South by Southwest, headlining one of the big stages there, right? So that's really what drew me to Falcon. Um, it's a full, you know, it's a full like 180 type of turn in a way, but in another way, it's not for me. It, mm. it seems like a pivot, but really it's, it's, it's still moving right as I've always planned. Right, right. And I think, you know, like anything, you're, you know, you, you, you have to continue to grow and, and challenge yourself. And, you know, I guess there's no such thing as just a straight line, um, as, you know, as a career, as, as a trajectory. So, um, uh, you know, that entertainment industry and we have friends from high school yeah. who, I mean, I, I can, I, they're more straight lined in terms of what they've been doing, but, um, yeah, not for entertainment industry. There's never going to be a straight line. Absolutely. Um, and, and, and you know what, that's, that's perfectly fine. You have to, in this industry, I mean, you were telling me before we started, I mean, sometimes you have to, 
actually, you know, go backwards to go forward, right? I mean, it's not, um, you know, it's not the the career progression as, you know, maybe if you're in, you know, finance or banking or real estate, it's it's a little bit different. It's not to say that it's better or worse, but um, sometimes you kind of have to, you know, if you want to switch lanes, switch gears, you might have to, you know, kind of instead of going forward, you might have to go sideways or even backwards um, to get yeah, you know, to where exactly. you ultimately want to be. Exactly. I mean, I, I swallowed my pride. Um, I was in New York City one week. You know, we were, you know, me and you were hanging out together, going to dinner sometimes. And then in the next week I was offered a job at WME, WME, which is now Endeavor. And it went from me being the head of a music, you know, head of music at a marketing company, uh, a small marketing company, but a, a good one called Talent Resources, um, to taking a few steps back, humbling myself and saying, okay, I want to learn from the best. I want to see what it's like to be in the, t the highest level of the corporate environment. If, if I'm going to be in it, I want to learn at Endeavor. So I had to an interview in L.A. Um, I got offered a job on Thursday. And the caveat to that job was um, if you want to have this job, and they knew that I was living in New York. If you want to have this job, you'll be starting in the mailroom. You'll be working, in, which, is, which was a boiler room. You know, if you can imagine it, it had the pipes, it had no windows, it had, mm. you know, cinder blocks for walls. Um, and I had to start. So again, it was Thursday and I had to start on Monday. So I did uh, a red eye from L.A. to New York, packed a few duffel bags, um, walked out of my apartment and um, never looked back, you know, and started in the mailroom that, that Monday. And I mean, that must have been pretty nerve wracking, I would imagine. Right. I mean, looking back now, it has to be. I mean, I know you're 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 a very bright guy and you, and you have a lot of self-confidence and you should. But that had to be, you know, not only nerve wracking, but it's got to be a little bit, you know, to 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 kind of, you know, even though there's the, the long term plan there. But um, how anxious were you to, you know, to to go that path? It had to be a little bit scary, I'd imagine. Extremely. I mean, I, 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 you, yeah. I mean, it was at this point where, um, I mean, there were a lot of things. It was more than ten years ago now, or a little, or ten years ago, and it was at this point where I didn't understand all of the. I thought it was all bullshit about like failure, and if you fail, you can always come back and keep trying and all that stuff, right? I always thought, okay, this is all just guru bullshit. Mm -hmm. um, so I went into this job, this the place that a lot of movies have made a lot of money off of, but also movies have been made about this company where, you know, there have been some really weird mistreatment type of things, like swimming with sharks is based on it, and you know. It's okay. But what I what I got out of it was I was so nervous and I was so not okay with failure that it was the most stressful move I could have made at the time mm. where I, I can't even believe I got the job because one of the questions that doesn't sound like a winner to me in the interview was, you know, and this was with the head of global HR when I was interviewing, he said, what's your biggest fear? And in that moment, I said, failure, right? Um, yeah, it's a, it's a it's a reasonable answer. It's definitely a reasonable answer. Huh. But like at the same time, 
I've had so many failures since then, and I feel like failure is not a fear of mine anymore. If as long as it comes with understanding what went wrong, right? right? And as everyone hears this on podcasts and reads about it, but it's the truth. It's like you can learn a lot from it, right? And it hurts. Failure hurts like a like a bitch. It hurts a lot. Yep. But if you pick yourself back up, right? You don't let one instance keep you down and you actually have the courage to not victim blame, right? Not say, oh, it's because of those asshole agents or that agency and it's too corporate and this. No, if you can actually think about it on both ends, right? Sure, I'm sure there were assholes at the agency. There were, right? <laughs> you can imagine it. Uh, yeah, I think I, I could imagine there was plenty of them. <laughs> yeah, there were, but there were also great people. And there was a lot of great stuff I learned from there. But, but like, yeah. if I hadn't picked myself back up and eventually realized uh, at a certain point when I left the agency world as an agent, what I did wrong on every front and how I can get better at certain things, then I would say like, failure is still scary. And it's always going to be, there's always going to be a fear of failure for everyone, but like it's less so for me now, right? Since I've had so many and I've learned and I've been able to take a step back, maybe not the first day, right? Like sometimes like whether it was me in sports when I like would dislocate my shoulder or something, I would take like the night, I would order myself a pizza. And at that point, when I considered that a failure, which it really wasn't, there's nothing you can do about it. But when I did, I would say, I'll let myself have tonight, right? right? I'll give myself tonight to be the most whiny, you know, self-deprecating person I can be. But tomorrow I'm going to start back up again. So I always had that, right? Like even in high school and middle yep. school. But I didn't allow myself to even have that pizza after I left the agency world. I just wanted to internalize, okay, what can I learn from this? What did I do wrong? What did I do right? Right. And I would meditate, kind of not the traditional meditate sitting in a room with, you know, my fingers on my knees or whatever it is. But I would, you know, on runs and in the gym, I would internalize and meditate in my own way and learn from it. So it's like, that's the biggest thing I think that I, I got from, you know, leaving as an agent. Um, is really eliminating that first fear I had outside of college, being away from Westport, being away from my initial friends from high school is like, you know, real failure and having that real failure. And you're right. I mean, you almost have to embrace failure because we're all going to fail. I mean, it's it, to, to think you're going to go through life. I mean, you're you're naive if you think you're going to go through life without failing. But not even that, like you said, failing i mean look at you know any of the great entrepreneurs and and businessmen and artists and musicians they all will tell you the failures um are what are what got them you know at the end of the day to to the level of success that they ended up so um your point is 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 really well taken about failure and how um it 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 makes you stronger because if you can go one or two ways with it, you can either, you know, whine and wallow and say, you know, woe is me, 
or you can uh, pick yourself up and um and 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 be you know and be better for it. So um that's uh that's that's an excellent point, Dave. Um yeah. so let's talk a little bit more about about what you're doing over at Falcon cuz you guys are really on the forefront um of of doing some really cool stuff. Talk a little bit about um you know you're doing all these you know it goes in in tandem with the with the music. You know, you're doing some pretty cool pop culture projects. Um, why don't you Why don't you mention a few of those and and uh, your your role in in these projects and uh, you know what what we can expect? Sure. I mean, the the sad part about the creative side, right? The pop culture stuff, sports stuff, is that because we're creating it and because um, we haven't released it, I can't say too much about each story. But what I can say is this: you know, there's Dex is currently filming a, um, a docu-series with Will Smith about how he's going to get back in shape. Um, and he's the, the mastermind with Will behind this whole, this whole ideology. And it's going to help millions of people see, you know, this charismatic person, Will Smith, you know, Independence Day, Bad Boys. Um, one of the original rappers, right? So there's music involved as much as like either people love it or hate it, a Grammy award-winning rapper um, who let himself or let COVID get the best of him in his shape. And he's going to let people into every single pain pressure point he's got, especially Dex. And through Dex's lens, they're going to create this docuseries that unveils how a celebrity gets back in shape um, in a really meaningful way in 2021. And that's going to be so impactful um, right now, right? Because like, I'd say that I, I, did, I didn't indulge at all uh, in that regard in, for COVID. I instead, you know, the way that I kind of, um, I functioned was I went harder into working out and stuff so that I could have a clearer mind. Mm. But some people... Mm. Some people didn't, and that's okay too. It's you know, it's okay. We we haven't been through this ever, right? So like a lot of people are feeling it um, physically, mentally. So I think that as light as this docu series can be with Will Smith and as funny, it's probably going to be very impactful socially as well. You know what I mean? Like it will. In my in my mind, and I can't see what Dex is doing right now, but in my mind, I think that what I can see him doing through his lens, what he's done with, you know, on band, which was another documentary he released um, about the Air Jordan ones being banned in the NBA versus Converse. Right. Uh, and having Michael Jordan get through that. But in my mind, you know, Dex is going to tell a very compelling story with all aspects of emotion, right? From... Will Smith, the funny, charismatic person, to Will Smith, down and out, coming back. Um, so it's going to be really helpful for people right now, especially during COVID, as sure. they follow a leader in in the pop culture and acting, you know, uh, sectors. So that's that's something that you know, in terms of storyline, uh, it's being done right now. It's really exciting. It moves Dex up in my, I think he's leveling up right now again. He's consistently leveling up as, you know, a creator as well as like a, an individual at the company and a director at the company and the founder of the company. Um, 
The other, another project that's really interesting that kind of aligns with the department that I've created is, uh, is going to be, and this is all I can say about it, it's going to be create, created around Roberto Clemente, okay, about the mm. entire story of Roberto Clemente. So wow. that goes along with wow. Falcon, and we're going to get a lot of behind-the-scenes stuff, which is going to be absolutely stunning as, you know, and amazing. Um, where I come in on that regard is less on the creative and more on the department that I helped Dex create during COVID, which is called KITS, K-T-S. And it started out um, as, a, as a need. Dex was offered a lot of unique um, and interesting contracts during COVID. And he did not have the ability to film, obviously, whether it was in the NBA bubble or traveling to certain places, he could not physically get there. Um, one, we didn't know in the first month if COVID was really deadly. So a lot of people were scared. And I'm sure just like I was, Dex might have been. And then two, there were just flat out restrictions. So working around that, Dex kind of looked at the landscape and said, what do I to keep my company going to keep filming because I'm not going to stop filming, right? Like I'm not going to stop doing what I love. Um, and that's the type of person I want to work with too, Samuels. But like the fact that he did that and started to research meant that he needed to find some way to film without having people physically there. So he looked in the landscape and he saw that there were a few companies out there already uh, doing these thing, things called drop kits. Um, and he was interested and intrigued, tried a few out. I think he, he mentioned he even lost a shoot day, which cost him quite a few thousand dollars if you lose a shoot day. And it can really hurt your reputation unless you salvage it, which I'm sure Dex did. But, you know, he, he saw this, he saw that the the market was really it was a niche market there were not many companies out there and the companies that were out there were horrible like they just were not savvy technologically in terms of their ser servicing in terms of their software in terms of their hardware so to fill this void dex created a few of his own kits that he sent into the mba bubble and started filming days and days and days and days, right? Like of Carmelo Anthony, Russell Westbrook, like everybody. And it got to a point where Dex and I connected and he goes, listen, it was at first like these contracts with the NBA and, you know, a few NBA players and all this stuff. I think I'm beta testing something that's really good right now. Um, and we got to talking, he explained kind of what drop kits were and how they can function in fully remote control without anybody physically there. And it got to the point where I went into the Falcon Studios, I tested it out, and immediately after after I saw what this was, you know, what this was all about, I said, Dex, let's go. I want to run this department. I can run with a shoestring budget at first. I can prove this this theory out that we have. You know, I can set up the CRM. I can set up the you know the outreach. I can set up grassroots marketing. Did it all. I did it all, and I did it with Dex. And you know, during that key time it was during, it was covid so there was one question like is this software and harvard uh, hardware just for covid and that was a question that loomed i think in dex's mind and at first in my mind until it got to a point where you know 
I started proving the theory more and more where it went from one-offs to booking a, a long project with Spike Lee. Um, and from that, we gained traction and kept booking more one-offs to right now where we are is we have um, some year-long contracts with, you know, the biggest DSP in the world. Um, I can't say the name, but as you can imagine, the biggest streaming service in the world is doing monthly with us. Um, the biggest basketball player, one of his companies, uh, his entertainment company, literally the biggest basketball player right now, um, has signed on for, you know, with us for a year. Um, one of Bill Gates' old companies has signed on with us for a year. So it's like we have these really big quality brands and companies on board with us after we proved this theory over and over again. And it was late March, mid late March, April, where we had four retained clients. And those were the big clients I mentioned. And then I had an extra 25 shoot days. So that's upwards of uh, mid six figures, Samuels. Um, and those 25 shoot days, I had to turn down. Um, wow. That's so a lot that's of money. like, uh, you know, that's like a quarter million ish dollars in a month that we had to turn down because we didn't have scale, which showed something huge. You know, it sucks that you can't you can't make all that money in a month, but it shows something bigger than that. It shows that the demands there, the needs there, it keeps growing and now we need to scale appropriately. So that's where we are right now. Like the, the department's getting bigger. Um, we're signing on more uh, quality companies, less one-offs, right? We're not focusing on one-offs as much as like client, like companies that are gonna be consistently working with us on a monthly basis. I just spoke to a startup, before I spoke with you, a startup that is going to be doing intimate, um, it's gonna be doing intimate like, uh, shows with really large performers which goes back to music and stuff and they're going to be flying out it's going to be like a charity aspect where they fly out whoever wins and their friends for this you know party slash concert with like 20 of their or 15 to 20 of their loved ones it's like a really cool concept really cool startup company charity based um and they even are like wow this exists like you can fully remote control a camera without having anyone there. It's, you know, it's 70% huh. less than having like even a crew of three in terms of like cost basis. And then it's cinema quality, right? It's not even, it's not iPhone quality. It's literally what Dex uses for his documentaries. Like it's, wow. it's what we use in the, 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 the series, uh, the docuseries coming out with John Morant right? Like called promised land. We used that same model, that same equipment, that same software for that documentary. And no one can tell. We use it with the Jordan brand every single month. So it's like, it's pretty fantastic. It's That's, really cool. Yeah. It's like, I've always wanted, if I wasn't going to be an agent at a large agency, uh, which felt to me like it wasn't a huge fit. I felt I felt like I could do the job really well, but it just didn't, per, in, in terms of personality, being an agent didn't feel like a fit for me as, as necessary of a job as that is. This feels like it's on the precipice of something that's really monumental and it'll have this niche 
market in the film industry where it'll be cheaper. It'll be the same quality as having like a four person, five person, six person crew. And it'll have the same ability to do what, you know, you, you want to do from any place, anywhere, mm. literally from your couch, you could direct a movie. That, I mean, that, that's technology that will, will, will certainly change the world. That, that, that's a game changer right there. Mm. Wow. Exciting. Wow. Yeah, that it's is- exciting, man. It's like, it's like I said, I mean, it, it, feels like it's full circle right now where I'm talking to a lot of music managers. I'm talking to a lot of my friends who used to be music managers who are now at startups, right? Like I mentioned that charity aspect of that, that music startup, like it's all full circle where, you know, I want to either be the creative production solution. So like if it's a festival who doesn't have a production partner, I want to be that salesperson who gets to be able to have decks tell a story for them or and slash or i want to be adding those those kits capabilities so that you know if there is another director that director using our kits doesn't have to fly to five different six different places in one week never see their family um and spend you know 70 percent more just on travel and crew costs you know it's like it doesn't make sense no, you're you're taking you're you're taking inefficiencies in the marketplace in the in the industry and making them much more efficient, um, which is the hallmark of an innovator and um, and uh, seems to have a tremendous amount of value to it. So that's I'm looking forward, um, you know, certainly to hearing you know seeing how that transpires and um, you know it's 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 a game changer, absolutely a game changer. So let, let's yeah, talk. it's not like yeah. going after. It's not like we're going after Marvel, right? Like we're not going after sure. crews. We're not trying to eliminate crews. The silver screen will always have its place. The Marvel Cinema Universe and a bunch of not really big away. blockbusters will always have crews, but this is going to be here to stay, and it's it's only a good thing. No innovation. I mean, I remember you know. Uh, there were plenty of nights where you know me and you would would hang out at Blockbuster. You know, <laughs> I remember those nights, and and you know we'd we'd go in and you know we'd we'd pick a movie, and you know and and it's Netflix came around, and and it's it's not that you know that's that's what innovation is. You know, it's not this. You know, there's certainly some nights maybe I'll I miss you know going to Blockbuster, but innovation like anything technology. I mean we don't drive around in horse and buggies anymore for a reason, you know? So, um, innovation is a part of life. It's a part of, um, it's just, I think I am a disruptor, you know, you knowing me personally, I think, I think I would be a disruptor as a professional. So, I mean, it, it being a partial disruptor kind of makes sense for me uh, professionally as well. And if you think of it, and I look at a disruptor as such a positive in that, the disruptors are the ones that have, you know, made life for us. I mean, Jeff Bezos is a disruptor. Mark Zuckerberg is a disruptor. You know, these are guys that, that took, um, you know, the Google guys, you know, guys that took, you know, one thing that we've been doing forever and just kind of turned it upside down. So, yeah, I mean, there's a lot, what you're doing at Falcon, Dave, um, there's a lot of, there's a lot of that disruptor. You, you took the word out of my mouth. Um, I, you know, I, I, I see a lot of that there. Um, but I, I want to talk a little bit about um, your you also do consulting uh, for record labels. And I, I think this might be an interesting 
you know, thing to talk about for a couple of minutes. How, you know, you, you see, you know, a totally different side here as, as a consultant and, you know, working with the labels. How has that experience, how is it today? And how has that kind of changed over the years as the music industry has just, you know, you, you, we, we started the show talking about Sam Goody, you know, I mean, that yeah. wasn't that, that wasn't that long ago. You went from Sam Goody to, you know, CDs to iTunes to, you know, you know, to M to MP, you know, MP3s to iTunes to, you know, wherever. And now we're like on TikToks. I mean, how, um, at consulting for record labels, you know, which is something you do, um, as well. How is, how has that been? I mean, it, is it been challenging to kind of keep up with, um, you know, with the pace of innovation here, how, you know, music has just evolved so much over these years? No, uh, in terms of challenging it, it, I mean, everything's a challenge, but in, I, I love it still, right? Like there, there's always going to be a place for me and the music industry, um, regardless of like whether I'm an agent or not. Uh, so in terms of challenge, it just comes naturally. Like I'll always be reading up on everything from major changes in you know the agency world to major changes in the labels. What I see in the label side is, is everything's, I think, I believe the music industry is the most fractured and broken of all the sectors of the entertainment industry. Um, mm. I think it, it's sad too. It's, um, it's like, this is the best way I could put it. I, when I was a junior agent, which is kind of in between obviously agent and assistant, you would see a little bit more behind the, the how the magic you know happens in different departments, right? You'd see up and coming actors at WME. You'd see up and coming artists. You'd see musicians rather performers. You'd see up and coming comedians. And you know I was mostly in the touring world, and I would see all these different guarantees that you know uh, an artist, a mu musician would get. And then you'd see kind of. An actor's first big break, their first big m movie. And let's compare that to like an artist's first big show at Coachella, their first big performance. There's a huge disparity there in terms of finance. Like if there's a huge, if there's a big, decently big movie, right? Like or an, a good indie movie and you're one of the leads, maybe not the lead, but one of the supporting actors you're getting paid a decent wage in the music industry. And this is only on the touring side. And we can go into the new technology and TikTok and stuff and how that breaks artists. But this is consistent still on, in the music industry. That same type of comparison, like an artist playing, let's say, like a 3, a 3 p.m. set at Coachella is not making anywhere. It, it's probably making they're probably making. 10% of what that actor or actress is making in that indie film. It's not sustainable. Um, it never has been, right? And there's always been. So for me, that's the biggest, I think that's the biggest thing I've always wanted to solve. And I talked to so many people in the music industry basically about how to solve it through different new tools, whether it's new contracting systems to, you know, make the, the middle manning a little bit less crazy and 
whether it's a new kind of system for artists and their royalties with labels and, you know, maybe it's a new kind of publicist who works more on new social media campaigns, a la TikTok, like what you're saying. All of these things are here, right? All of these things are, are, are apparent. Um, but let's say that I'm working with a new artist. I, I am at a, a label and that artist is got the vision to create a label. That's great. The label is, you know, let's let's call it a venture label where they're creating a new system where each artist, including themselves, they, they sign themselves into this label and each artist um, sh has a rev share of their own LLC. So hence venture label. You know, Samuels, it's like you're creating your own kind of business with the people around you. Right. It's interesting. It's a different format than, you know, um, a big label uh, coming up to you and saying, here's a huge advance. I'm going to own you because this isn't a real advance. Right. This is this is only an advance. I'm going to own you for 25 years unless you are post Malone, because you're going to be so far in the red that you're never going to come back up from this. Hmm. And that's how it's always been pretty much generally speaking in the music industry and every music artist is like, Oh, you know, $750,000 or, you know, even $50,000, where do I sign? Right. And not only does that seem like to an artist potentially, like it's a good deal, like, Oh, I'm getting 750 grand or I'm getting 50 grand grand whatever it might that's not going to you in a bank account that's just what they're pledging to use on you in your music career for the most part you're they're going to be calling the shots so they have their own crew of cronies maybe like um a photographer they use a lot right and that photographer charges x amount of dollars outside of the label system but in the label system you know it's x cubed right and that X cubed, you know, four times, four times, four times, four times, four of the price up. is is part of your budget, right? So they they're jacking it out of your out of your kind of like your signing, um, you know, number, and it's just being compounded and compounded in a negative way. So there's a lot of issues with the you know with the whole industry, mm. and that's what. In a nutshell, all these artists, big and small, have always been fighting about. I mean, I kind of understand. I don't. I, I. I have to say, I don't agree with what Lars Ulrich was doing in the wake of Napster. But I kind of understand why he was doing it. You know, coming from sure, he was Metallica, and that's like the top one percent of one percent in the music industry. But you know, he saw it as well. Shit, they're stealing from us, and we're not getting our royalties, and we work so hard to like make a buck and make it to where we are right. you know and there's i'm sure that going back to blockbuster i'm sure that there isn't there aren't fbi agents <laughs> who catch people if they were ripping vhs's back in the day but right. at least there was that that warning sign from the fbi saying don't rip this vhs right, right. there's there, there was no fear from any of us from me from probably from you when we were downloading off of limewire or napster <laughs> that we were actually like taking food off of these these artists 
cables, no. you know? There was no FBI warning. No, you're, that, was, that wasn't in the equation when we were trying to listen to, uh, you know, Green Day or whatever you know, at that time. So I agree with you. That wasn't, that wasn't, I don't think we were thinking about that. <laughs> no, but I mean, getting into what I'm doing now, it's, it's still doing what I've always done, which is working with either up-and-coming artists or semi-up-and-coming artists, so like artists who are in the festival circuit, and either working one-on-one and their managers uh, for growth opportunities, right? Like networking right. opportunities, uh, marketing opportunities to the structuring of, like you mentioned, a label, like a venture label where what do you need to launch an indie album campaign? And what do you need to launch an indie album campaign in 2021? And that does go hand in hand with TikTok, right? Like you mentioned TikTok, and we can get into that. There's a lot of components, but that one's a good one because it's where everyone is now and hate it or love it, you know, the Chinese government does own it, but whoever found out the way to break an artist using their songs through different, you know, um, influencers on TikTok was a genius. Um, and Samuel, so I got to tell you, there, there are whole companies now that connect, you know, hundreds of influencers with labels or artists and say, like, if you're going to launch your own song, right, like Samuel's song one, you go to this company, this sub company, and you say, like, hey, I'd like to launch this song on, on X date, and I want it to have a, like a, a run on TikTok. What do I do? Mm. And they come back to you with a full plan, and that plan is, okay, so here's the song. This is where we think it's going to be best targeted to in terms of influencers. And we're going to ask each influencer if they're interested at a certain dollar point and if they like the song, right? Because if they don't wow. like the song, they won't interact with it. And those influencers will then post that song, interact with that song, look for reposts, look for more influencers who are posting it. And hopefully it's going to create a stream effect, right? Where it it breaks that song and one influencer sees that it's being used by a couple more and then they use it. And then a lot of people start re, I don't know what it's called on TikTok, but retweeting it, reliking it, whatever you want to call it. That same idea is there. I mean, the marketing, these little sub marketing companies for TikTok are doing incredibly well already. And I mentioned earlier that I think that everything's broken in the music industry. There needs to be, if you're going to have a publicist, I think Pitchfork and Billboard and Rolling Stone and placements like old school placements are amazing, right? And then podcasts, those are really good. And branded content's amazing. But I think a publicist also needs to be integral with social media and DSPs. And I, I'm yet to meet a publicist who connects the dots between the artist and really getting in there to market through TikTok, you know, per se, as well as going in and talking to some of the reps at Spotify and saying, like, here's X artist, you know, like, when and how and can we playlist this artist? Because playlisting on DSP like Spotify, that's the new radio. That's where I would have heard the Beatles or Harry Nielsen or Eric Clapton in the car. That That's where it is now, right? Because right. we need everything to be curated. So that's the new radio, curated playlists. 
And there, the, if, if and when like a, a publicist has all of this together, it's going to be hyper powerful. It's going to be a hyper powerful company. And I'm sure there are publicists out there. If they're listening, there's probably a few who do all of this. And I know a few that do all of this. I'm not talking about you, but for the most part, <laughs> just like every other aspect in music, everyone's still stuck to 10 years ago. Whether it was during Napster, people were still stuck to CDs. Now we're stuck to a, a phase where everyone's stuck to um, prior to take, you know, social media takeover as well as streaming takeover, like right before that right before the streaming takeover. So publicists' main, you know, I guess, job requirements were to place and talk about the artist in publications. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, um, mm, it, it is, it is interesting. I mean, just, you know, listening to you speak about this, uh, just the, the, this, I'm just, just blown away by the, the speed of change and, and innovation and, uh, you know, it, it, working with these labels and 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 being creative, it's it's um you know you really have to be on your toes, you know, for what you do. And you know, we spoke a little bit, you know, before I let you go, I I wanna I wanna ask you one more question. Is you know, and and we were talking on you know before we started taping off air about like NFTs, and you know, we just mentioned TikTok. You know, where you know, in terms of like being nimble and being, you know, ready for the next opportunity, where, you know, where, where's the music industry headed? You know, where do you see five years, 10 years, 15 years, whatever it may be? Um, can you see that far? You know, where, where, where's this industry going? Because there's been so much innovation, so much change already. Uh, you know, what's, what's on the horizons? What, you know, what 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 in what capacity will we be listening to music and how will the artists be getting compensated? Is there any way to, you know, I know this is this is you spend a lot of time trying to look at this, but you know how can we predict it? Uh, where you know where where the world will take us and and how music will follow? I think it's access and eco, right? And that, what I mean by that is, um, people want to have right now, and I don't know what it's going to be in 10 years, but they want to have Instagrammable and TikTokable. Is that a word? If not, I just created it. Moments. I think you should, you should, uh, can you, can you put a patent on that or not a patent, yeah. but can, yeah. a royalty on, on TikToking? Yeah. <laughs> um, they want to have these moments, right? These one of a lifetime type of moments. And that's where things are heading, right? Like, not only for people who actually genuinely listen everyone's good everyone's you know tries to be nice and i truly believe that but the reason why i i started with that is because most people like to do these moments where it's a humble brag or a brag where they're like oh i'm taking a picture with so-and-so or someone did a cameo video with so-and-so those that's going to evolve into a fully 360 type of experience where and and you're seeing this now. I mentioned it. One of one of my friends has created a intimate charity based um, company where if you win this this charity, you get to invite ten of your closest friends for an intimate concert where you get to hang out with that artist. Right. Then there's other other platforms coming out that are competing against each other where it's um, 
Cameo meets Masterclass. So let's say, for the sake of argument, do you like Gary Clark Jr.? Pat? Sure I do. Yeah, I, I yeah. like Gary So Clark let's Jr. say that he's hanging out, he's bored, he's in the green room, he's about to play a, sh- a, a local show in Austin, but he's bored. Instead of tweeting, instead of like going on Instagram and just posting something, he might turn on an app and to the highest bidder be able to have like a 10 minute, 15 minute interaction with someone where he shows them how to play a C chord or a D chord or, you know, teaches them something in a once in a lifetime moment. Now that comes with a price, right? So these once in a lifetime opportunities, um, that, you know, just like an NFT where it's rare and one of a kind, that's what's going to be so consistent that's what's being created is these once in a lifetime opportunities, whether it's through an NFT, whether it's through an app where you can be taught something and, you know, speak directly with someone based on a certain price and interest. All of that stuff is, is happening now. It's only going to grow. And that's kind of where I see things going. I mean, you know, you see someone like Travis Scott uh, at the and his team at the forefront of branding and marketing and experience. Right. And it only goes further into that. Like everyone wants experience, uh, experience and access um, and community. So I think that building around those those things is exactly where you're going to succeed monetarily as an artist in 2040. And um, digitally, obviously, like, you know, we see it now in the landscape of like uh, video games to, you know, live streaming and could be some kind of 3D interactive show. I don't know if we're going to ever get off the ground with some great 3D, but um, once in a lifetime opportunities that are intimate are definitely where things are going, where you're going to make the most bang for your buck. You know, it's interesting because, you know, things, as you're speaking, things, you're predicting things to change in, in, in enormous ways, but also when you talk about experience being key, uh, you know, so uh, at the same time, a lot of things that have been a hallmark of the business really, you know, are, are going to stay true, um, which right. is, is which is kind of an interesting dichotomy where, you know, we don't exactly know in what form we'll be listening to music in terms of, you know, will it be a physical product or just in thin air, but having having the right team, you know, someone like yourself um, you know, shepherding the process, um, experience that, that doesn't seem like that will ever go out of style. No, absolutely not. And, you know, it's just how you experience it because time keeps getting more and more valuable as we get older, as everyone gets older and, you know, an artist's time is valuable. So how they use it is going to be, you know, a function of how much money they make, right? and how they want to use that so if they want to sign on that app and give you that 15 minutes to learn how to play a guitar or if they want to um, interact with you one-on-one in a video game or if they want to fly 20 people out for an intimate show um, for a good cause and um maybe make the same, if not a little bit more money than they would be making if it was a music festival. All that stuff is still experience, right? It's just 
um, new types of ways we can experience it because of technology. Right, right. I think that's what Wayne Gretzky always said, right? Skate to where the puck is going. That's, that's, that's the line. You, you don't not work. If you're, if you're, if you're, if you're living in today's world, you're, 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 you're behind. That's, you know, that's, that's, that's the message there. Um, but Dave, thanks uh, so much for taking the time. It's has been, Thank you. been informing, um, informative, I should say, uh, You've you've touched on some really fascinating topics. It's been it's been great to hear about your career um, and you know kind of how you how you got started. How you know going through um, the different iterations of uh, you know of of the business and uh, you know with Falcon and and kind of your predictions for the future. It was it was really interesting, and I know um, I know our listeners certainly got got a lot of value out of it. So. Uh, maybe we'll have you on in like 20 years and, and we can see if you were right. How about that? <laughs> yeah, sounds good. <laughs> if, if that's if podcasts are still a thing at that point, I, we might be like in, in, on a, a different planet doing the show. So who Neuralink, knows? Neuralink, man. We, we won't, won't be speaking. That's true. We'll be some type of other uh, communication well, that we could, yeah. we, we could save that for, uh, for the future. But I appreciate it, Dave. Uh, thanks again and, uh, and best of luck. Thanks, man. Thank you for listening to this episode of Deep Dives with our guest, David Winther. Deep Dives can be found on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. We'll be back next week with an all-new episode of Deep Dives.